0: Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. The the general conversation that actually it was a question that Tim and both Matt and I have kind of taken a shot at it, and that is that what what you get in modernity is a kind of reading of Scripture, a flat, historical, critical reading. And so what, obviously, you're going back to the early church. The way that you're reading Scripture in origin is allegorical. What I referred to was a theological reading in which Scripture then is set within a larger context of the church. uh, But how would, if you had to describe the alternative reading of Scripture that is there, that is the alternative to the modernist understanding. How would you sum that up?
1: Like It's actually much easier to define, I think, the modernist understanding well and then say what another breeding isn't because that's what we're so familiar with. But I think one way of thinking about it is that towards the end of the Middle Ages, when you have the world falling apart in many people's minds in the sense that you know, you have, I don't know, the hundred years of war and you have a few plagues. And then eventually you have the reformation. People are beginning to think in terms of a reality that is distinct from God. And so one that we might then, and so they're going back of course, to like Aquinas and seeing how he used uh, not just Aquinas, but just the idea of Aristotelian thought that we might empirically discover things. But of course, you know, In the 1200s, when you're doing that, the things that you're empirically discovering all subsist in the sort of synthesis that is held together by uh, fourfold causality. God's very much a part of everything. They're not thinking in terms of discovering something outside of revelation. And maybe that's the big difference, because then, of course, with the rise of modernity, there's the idea that through empirical reasoning, through what becomes the scientific method, you know, we might be able to discover truth as such, and that truth is a truth that exists, you know, apart from God in some way. There's not really participation in true knowledge and the being of God. So that before I think people thought of everything as hanging together. So that if you would have grown in true knowledge of the world or scripture, you were necessarily also growing into knowledge true knowledge about God because God has revealed himself in these things, and none of that would have made sense apart from Christ, because I think this is the full and specific revelation. So then they tended to read everything in and through who Jesus was, but not in a Lutheran way. You know, I would, I would characterize the difference there, is Luther being so skeptical of what you might know, and being skeptical of the truth, and being skeptical of human reason, that he would say, uh, you know, Christ is a truth that is exclusive and stands alone in the midst of, you know, a world that is all lies, whereas Origen probably, would have, or Clement of Alexander, whoever you want to talk about, would have rather thought in terms of Christ makes sense of all this truth that is out there. Christ puts the puzzle together, so to speak, so that we see uh, the picture of the whole. That language, you know, the idea of the truth as the whole carries all the way through to Hegel, but of course they're defining how we come to that truth and what that truth is differently, in each, you know, basically every hundred years redefines it after the Reformation, and I think that starts before the Reformation, too. I mean, obviously there's currents that lead up to, to Luther even being able to make some of the moves that
0: he does. So that with Luther and Hegel, they're, they're, they're literally taking hold of, there is the impetus to take hold of knowledge and truth as a whole, and to talk about it in a way that, you know, Hegel is really describing the genealogy of knowing. So that idea,
1: the idea that, you know, the truth is this whole picture, is definitely a classical idea. The difference, of course, is that, you know, with Luther, that would in some way be... Christ crucified, as distinct and separate from the world or from history or from, uh, you know, even ourselves. Whereas I think, you know, Hegel has collapsed. Hegel sees it as some, you know, form of the ideal that's other than us, but it's um, it's one that's being played out in history. It's one that we might know fully. It's one that's, I give him credit that he, he thought at least that, you know, this truth as a whole is being worked. Out and will be received by us. It's not necessarily something that you work out. And I think, well, that's you know, um, <laughs> I don't know. That's better than I guess some idea of. Just so there's a t loss to
2: Hegel's reason, view. but There's a, there's
1: a uh, there was originally. So of course, Gijak. These are so there's different um, receptions of Hegel. So the first reception, and this is what you encounter most in, like, who Kierkegaard is writing against. I'm trying to remember, like, the technical names for all these things, but the, the old Hegelians, basically. Uh, yeah, they definitely thought there was a, a telos to Hegel, what Hegel thought was spirit, that the truth as a whole, and we will arrive at that. He thought it was going to happen during his lifetime, and so you actually get philosophers who are sort of contemporary with Hegel, but live outlive him. You know, Hegel's doing most of his writing at the end of his life. These guys are thinking that this age is about to arrive, whereas just, you know, a generation after that, nobody thinks that way anymore. They all, they start to read Hegel differently and think that the dialectic never gives way. And, you know, that's in Freud, definitely in the 20th century.
0: So Hegel, at one point, uh, apparently Napoleon came, where where was it that uh jenna
1: yeah i know what you're talking about but
0: and hegel points to napoleon he actually saw him he said the, he said well there is yeah. the world spirit on a horse that's right wow so the right wing hegelians are going to go with they they would be the the predecessors to the fascists the left yeah, wing, absolutely and the left wing hegelians would be the marxists in which the world spirit is not arrived, and in some way, you know, this is Zizek. Zizek just dismisses all that talk and says, "Oh, they're yeah. Hegel. Didn't believe any of that."
1: But of course, historically, that works out in successive generations, so that you have a generation of philosophers who read Hegel one way, and then it's the generation after them that shifts. It's, I'm sure, there's overlap, but it's not as if they were contemporaries. Right.
0: And the point is that whatever you're doing, right-wing, left-wing, I mean, just Marxism itself is is taking over half the world. You're doing Hegel whether you know it or not. (laughs) Psychoanalytically, this is really the rise. Hegel is the first to give us a deep psychoanalytic, psychological reading, in which the dialectic is that that is taking place within the individual. And, of course, this is Zizek, that Zizek says, well, of course that's the truth. We all experience that, that angst, that agonistic struggle. And for Zizek, there is no personality other than that struggling personality involved in the dialectic, taking Xanax. I would say that about any key person. You know, I think our tendency is to load the individual Maybe Hegel's one of those individuals he's tapped into a truth that captures many of those people who've come after him. But he's also describing the development, I think, just the way he's de- describing a reality. That I read the Bible as You know, a way of putting it is that it's over and against a Hegelian description of reality. And to my mind, that's the only alternative we have. It's either, you know, this is Dave Belly Hart. I think he's partly right. You either believe in Hegel or you believe in Jesus. Hmm.
2: Yeah, there's only a couple, you know, world historical type thinkers, right? Like where it's like where you can apply their thought. So I'm thinking of someone like Plato or Aristotle, you know, it's like you can apply their thought to sort of so many different realms, political, you know, economic, like we already said, you know, theological, philosophical, you know, all these different ways and, you Hegel just happens to be, I think, sort of in that, that elite group of world historical thinkers, you know, who have just such powerful insights.
0: I think checking out all this is very simple, though. You know, we're, we're describing all this like we're caught up into this thing. And I think that the checking out of it is to just say that we have access to life in Christ. And that is not removed from us. This was our discussion today. And that is that once you recognize that eternity does indeed intersect time in Christ. Well, what that is saying in part is that we have access to eternality that what meaning is flowing, meaning doesn't reside elsewhere, meaning resides within our own lives, and our tendency is, the Hegelian tendency, to write everything over with this symbolic dialectic, as if out of the dialectic struggle, truth arises. No, that, that is a construct that needs deconstruction. That's the significance of what Christ did on the cross. It is the grand deconstruction of death as reified. So for Hegel, he poses this dialectic as nothing over and against something, death over and against life. That is the dialectic. Thus you get a figure like Heidegger coming along and saying that it's in the nothing that we obtain final truth. That's why perhaps the grand genius of the 20th century was the despicable idiot of the 20th century. That that thought unfolds into the evil that is fascism. And oh, I,
2: thought were about, I thought you were talking about Donald Trump. Sorry.
0: <laughs> that's evangelicalism, which may just be more Hegelianism. I don't know.
1: I think that we can take comfort in, uh, you know, i reading a little bit of Maximus the Confessor lately, right. and he identifies basically the Hegelian dialectic as the gnomic will, and just says, yeah, you know, that's how we all do life, but that's really just a product of the fall, and um, that's not who we really are. And then his whole theology is to explain how uh, Christ subverts that part being fundamental in us, which of course is the reading On Romans, or that's not all that different than what you're doing. But he the way he hones in on it, he uses the Chalcedonian formula as the starting point for basically everything that he says. And this is when he's writing a commentary on Gregory of Nyssa. And so I think it's all there. Like, it's always been there in Christian theology. It's just been forgotten.
2: (laughs) Are you reading the Cosmic Mystery, John?
1: I mean, I've got two books of his, but the is the cosmic mystery the one by SVS Press, Matt? Yeah, it's really just a it's a compilation of things.
2: There's so a, there's a couple, yeah. He there's a couple from uh, SV. Uh, there's, so there,
0: uh, John, explain the gnomic will and how this is pre-Hegelian. Okay, so the gnomic will. I guess this would all be a Gregory. I see.
1: G n o m i c yeah so I guess this would all be in Gregory of Nyssa it would have to be but uh, I was reading Maximus and what he'll say is that the nomic will is basically the will that the will that imagines it can choose between good and evil and he would say this is really just a, a myth um, I mean we we live our whole lives this way but the more that we identify with that will the less anchored we are as people the the less I mean in his mind the less being that we have the less we imbibe and embody it truth or beauty or holiness and we're sort of as the psalms would say you know just tossed about on the waves but the the natural will on the other hand is the will that desires a return to god so it's the will that is only fulfilled by being what we are made to be which is in the image and likeness of jesus christ basically so all that comes together the idea of uh, Jesus being the definition of humanity as the, as being identical to the Logos and the Son of God. Uh, all that's coming together in what the natural will is. This is our growing into maturity as human beings. And he says, you know, God is, is working in our lives, whether we know it or not. And that natural will is always present, and that's fundamental. And that's, uh, as we grow into being more human, that's what's happening. The nomic will, however, is the distraction and the lie that most of us live by. And I think that's the gnomic will, the way he describes it, is this idea between, you know, a dialectic of good and evil, or a dialectic of the idea that we might be able to choose between good and evil, which is a myth in itself. You know, you really just choose between greater and lesser goods. He sees as really being the ground for all of our problems and the result of the fall. And so it's almost like he's saying, well, the idea that Hegel taps into and thinks is everything, well, that's just the gnomic will. That's not truly human.
2: John, can you, like, I guess I was thinking, like, so, you know, obviously the gnomic will um, has to do with gnosis or sort of knowing, which, of course, is, oh, how is that what uh, Maximus is describing there in a type of knowing different than Hegel's um, type of knowing?
1: I I don't get the question.
2: Well, I guess what I'm saying is is that uh, isn't that what, Paul, isn't that what you're saying about Hegel is that so the way that we know uh, as human beings is in and through, you know, difference. You know? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So Maximus is just saying that's the result of the fall. That's yep. a debate, and that's a lie. That's not really who we are.
2: But that we actually, right. So that that whole, the, the whole fall is a sort of a fall, is sort of a fall into a certain form of knowing. Right?
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Which is basically what Paul is saying in his book uh, oh. through psychoanalysis. Yeah. Paul yeah. Asked yeah, yeah, that's, well, and St. Paul and Romans. Yeah, <laughs> you know?
2: yeah, that, yeah, that's why I was kind of saying it's really interesting what you're saying there in terms of kind of Paul Acton's context, you know, because um, that's precisely what he's saying. He's, I, I, you know, it sounds like Gregory or Maximus is articulating it in different you know, sort of pre modern terms. Yeah. Um, but it is over and against. In other words, it sounds like for Maximus and these guys, Gregory of Nyssa, there's, it's always one, you know, and I've noticed this with Origin too you know, origin says the truth is one, but lies are many, yeah. you know? Um, and he goes all the way through and says that, you know, that, you know, God is one, but the, you know, the idols are many. And you know, that, that in other words, for these guys, the unity of Christ is so paramount because it's, it's the, there is, there's only one, you know, m- yeah. mode of knowing properly. And that's, I mean, that's, Christ.
1: that's basically the fundamental, um, in some people's thought that becomes a dualism. The one and the many are a dialectic, but that's basic those are the fundamental categories of classical philosophy. They get expressed in Jewish thought in the Old Testament, the idea of one God versus the many pagan gods. and that's developed you know as the scriptures progress. And um, I think you have the same thing in Christian thought, but that's the same thing Heidegger's dealing with. So the idea that there might be a transcendent one and that one might be truth is everybody's kind of playing around with that. But the problem is most of the time they make that one truth a finite thing, or at least that's the problem of modernity. Or, or you can go the other way and just say that it's completely unknown or... Uh, hidden so that we have no access at all so the many is fundamentally cut off from
2: the one i like the way origin i I have the quote right here i just happen to be reading it he says the good is one but shameful things are many the truth is one but lies are many true righteousness is one but there's many ways of counterfeiting it the wisdom of god is one but many are the, the word of god is one but many are the words foreign to god
1: that's right so basically matt from the didache on the christian mystical tradition or the ascetical tradition has taught this, that uh, if you want to be a Christian and you want to grow in holiness, what you have to do is grow in single-mindedly contemplating God, which is a very, it's an embodied contemplation. It means you become holy, you become, uh, you know, it's habitual grace. So you grow in virtue and all of this. That's what they mean by knowing. Uh, and that's all the way throughout the Middle Ages, even into the modern, I mean, as among ascetical writers, it just continues on. So that they're able to continuously distinguish, I just think Maximus does it the most artfully, um, between the gnomic will would be the idea of the choices of the many, and the natural will is, well, there's really only one choice to be made. Ultimately, freedom means being free to choose God.
2: Yeah, you said it in a really cool way, actually. You said freedom is choosing only one thing, and you meant the good. Yes. yeah That's right. That's 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 profound. That and that's a profound. I mean, I think it's a really succinct way to put it. That freedom is uh, freedom is choosing only one thing. (laughs) You know what I mean? We would normally completely misunderstand and imagine that freedom is choosing between two things, but actually, it's like Kierkegaard. You know, the purity of heart is to will one thing. You know, that's right. You choose the one, the good God.
1: So that's why I mean I think this is actually a really good pushback against. you know, the kind of narratives that would say Western thought has completely failed, yada, yada, Western Christianity has completely failed. Because this idea is found even throughout modernity in monastic circles or monastic writers. So that is at least the spiritual life in the West can be found to be almost identical to what the spiritual life would have been in the early centuries of Christianity all the way through. even though, And that's the trouble with separating the academy from the church, basically. So once you can do biblical, or biblical studies at a university rather than this being somehow attached to the church or where you're studying systematic theology or church history as a distinct discipline, all these are very Protestant ideas, actually. I mean, that's where I think things go haywire. I want to back that up and agree with Paul, though, because I can already hear what he might say, that when I say if things go haywire, well, people are tapping into the fact this is just the reality of sin among us i don't think that we can just blame it on protestantism
2: well it was, it was just it, i was going to say after our, our um conversation the other day about the hesychast tradition and all that and they, yeah yeah they thought oh you know these guys are just you know going up into mount athos and just you know they're not doing any thinking they're not doing any you know and i forget the guy's name who who sort of attacked the guys on mount athos he's been pretty much forgotten by the tradition because he was wrong but actually they found out Man, these guys who aren't doing the acad- you know, sort of like the quote-unquote traditional academics mm-hmm. stuff have, have some of the most profound things that we've ever read about God. Yeah, that's like, right. It's contemplating, you know, <laughs> they're just, uh, you know, so it's, a, it's a very cool.
0: So, um, Tim, I think that what John and Matt are saying pertains directly to your original question. And that is that we can make the mistake of, a ma- of reading Scripture in the dialectic. But we're reading Scripture to encounter Christ. We've sidestepped the whole dialectic in which we would pit one against the other. That is flowing right out of C.F. Bauer. It's flowing right from Hegel. That whether you Schleiermacher.
1: Schleiermacher. The same thing.
0: Now that's the thing I want you to run down, John.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna look. I'm looking into it
0: because I know don't know. There- is Schleiermacher.
1: Their lecture halls were literally right next to each right. other. And, they, they hate, and the funny thing is nobody was attending Schleiermacher's lectures at the time. So Hegel was, you know, the big cat and down still. I, I but, think that actually what you have with Schleiermacher is a reaction against what's already different. You know, they're trying to find different grounds for authority, essentially.
0: And the, what Schleiermacher is giving us is, you know, we, the way I'd always thought of Schleiermacher is, well, that you culture is the you know religion for the its culture despisers is that religion is kind of the determiner of the truth and we read then from the height of the cultural perspective that is Western thought. That's the the way that I've always understood. Schleier. Okay, there is an alternative reading, uh, an alternative reading. If and I well, it's not in religion for its culture despisers, but it's in and I uh, I haven't read his other work, is just the the opposite, that what you have in culture, then, is the reality that we discern and critique and understand through the person of Christ. So that, yes, it is true that reality comes to us culturally accented, but that it's in Christ that we learn, that that we are able to discern and sort out. So I would...
1: I, I guess the qu- next, the follow-up question should be: Well, who did Schleiermacher think Christ was?
0: Uh, and I just
1: don't think the answer is in any way orthodox. <laughs> um, I, so I'm trying to pull back from the only time I've read Schleiermacher. I Think already at that point, Schleiermacher's ideas on who who Jesus. I don't mean like you know the historical Jesus stuff. I think that he was already reading Christ. I don't know if Schleiermacher could have said, "Well, I think." that Jesus is the divine person, the Son of God, uh, and that the person of Christ is identical to the Logos. I'm not for sure if Schleiermacher would have said that, but I'll have to do some more. I'll
0: look into this more tomorrow. It's, it's very interesting to me because wouldn't it be you know, interesting? If, because this is Karl Barth is bouncing yeah, back and forth between these two. Well, he loves
1: Schleiermacher. Yeah, he thinks Schleiermacher. You have to read Schleiermacher if you're one of Bart's students.
0: I, and there's a bit of ambiguity. Well, where did Bart come out on all this? You know, did he really reject the Hegelian dialectic? Because he all his life will talk about. Well, I'm going to do a little Hegelianisms here, and, <laughs> and did he really depart from Schleiermacher, or in fact was that? In other words, it's not clear. Yeah. For me, Maltman, Maltman. awoke me from my dogmatic slumber. (laughs) (laughs) I've got four of his books sitting on my shelf and I think they're all unread. Yeah, I don't, and that's not, I'm not saying he's correct. I'm just saying. Read A
1: Theology of Hope. Yeah.
0: I do do have that too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Read that one. That one's beautiful. He's a good Twitter follower. He still might be wrong, but
2: it's beautiful.
0: Is he on Twitter? (laughs) Yeah. He's (laughs) 90, 90 years old.
2: Yeah, I I think it's somebody on Twitter that just like... Well, I
0: hope he's in quarantine. Yeah,
2: Yeah, or we might not get this book. I'm doing a course this summer uh, at uh, Vancouver School of Theology, the guys that did Douglas Campbell last year. Uh, I'm doing a week on on process this year. I can't remember what her name is, but I like to just get it all, be eclectic.
1: (laughs) Well, I read Douglas Campbell's new book. It's good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's a good Bartian as well. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, he's the kind of Bartian that I
2: like. I mean, <laughs> yeah. okay. Donna Bowman is process theology in the human existence, following Christ into an open future. In July, okay. it's a week more. So go. go,
1: go, and take good notes, and uh, then you know, anathematize it all. And...
2: You guys don't like the the uh, process people? Well, I just think it's degenerate. Oh. even a broken <laughs> clock is right twice a day.
0: Uh, it's Hegel. It's just more Hegel.
2: Hegel, God is becoming.
0: <laughs>
2: well, aren't we all becoming God? Isn't that Athanasius?
1: <laughs> yeah, but he <laughs> means something a bit different. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Touche. In other words, that's what—that's Moltmann is he- Hegelian in the uh, yeah. an appreciation for history, and I think we need that. We need that, but you don't get there through, in other words, what you get if you absolutize or reify history is the loss of. Yeah. Course. You
1: know who else had an appreciation for history is Etienne Gilson, and we can read him without being process theologians.
0: Ah, I've got his books too. Yeah. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's been a slice. Been a wonderful conversation. Yeah, I thank you all I, for
1: letting me join in at the end.
0: John, oh, yeah. glad you could come.
1: I had to put kids to bed, or a kid. I put one kid to bed.
0: Well, you can only do them one at a time.
1: That's right. We, we take turns.
0: Stay safe, everybody. Don't yeah. don't get the coronavirus. But should we get it? Should I get it and die? I'm <laughs> glad that we had this conversation. This is We're one of the last die. things. We're all going to die. That's right. I'm going to start watching all those movies, Pandemic and 28 Days Later and Virus. I'll pray
2: for your soul. Don't worry. Like <laughs> Don't worry, yeah, John, put right. together, John put together a Fesh trip or whatever it's called. There you go. Fesh for Paul. Yeah. Thanks again, guys. Great right. time. Good See night. You. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash Axton, or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.